Influencing popular culture, politics, and everything in between. The local station takes you ringside as we discuss the crazy world that is professional wrestling. This is Going Ringside with the local station. Hey there, I'm Scott Johnson. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Going Ringside. This is episode 34. If you are going through the show, um, First off, I want to thank you for the great response last week to our interview with Becky Lynch, episode 33. If you want to hear from the man, uh, if you want to hear from Becky Lynch, go back and listen to episode 33 right now on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, just some good stuff there last night, as we uh, last week, as we discussed Becky Lynch, her career, and heard from the man herself uh, on our episode on Becky Lynch. And I want to give you uh, just another plug for our at going ringside. TikTok and at Going Ringside Instagram channels. We're putting out exclusive content there every day. Some from the podcast, some you won't get on the podcast, but you will get there. So give us a follow at, at Going Ringside at both TikTok and Instagram. Uh, today we are excited to be joined, rejoined by a friend of the show, the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. Ken is back in town in Jacksonville, where we're at, talking about Valor Bare Knuckle, Valor BK. Uh, it is his new promotion that is going to be really having, I would say, its debut on October 27th here in Jacksonville at the University of North Florida. And we're going to talk to him about it here shortly. So Valor BK tried to start before the pandemic. They had a show in South Dakota. The pandemic stopped things. And now they're kind of relaunching this new bare knuckle version of fighting, unlike anything you will see in Ultimate Fighting Championship. It's all bare knuckle, and Ken's going to tell us all about it here momentarily. In the interview, he's also going to tell us some great stuff about his time in wrestling, uh, have some thoughts on Mike Tyson and Shawn Michaels and Stone Cold Steve Austin. So wrestling fans and boxing fans, you may want to hear that. Um, and a little later in the show, if you want to scroll ahead, we're going to be talking to a guy out of Dallas who has been making um, wrestling promos for new up-and-coming wrestlers. So if you know any up-and-coming wrestlers or you are one or want to show this to someone, he's got some really good insights on how to get in the business and how to really make video kind of a demo reel to try and make your way up into the Ring of Honors and to the AEWs, the WWEs. So that's a little later on the show. But all about Ken Shamrock today, and we want to talk to the world's most dangerous man. He's been on with us a few times before, and he told us he would be back in town to talk about when he was going to start his new Valor Bare Knuckle, Valor BK. So here it is. Let's get to it. And I uh, learned the hard way that I don't want Ken Shamrock to show me any moves you want to scroll to the end of the episode to see that. Uh, but here's our interview with the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock, on his new promotion, Valor BK, Valor Bare Knuckle. Well, we're overjoyed to be joined again by friend of the show, Ken Shamrock, to join us again. Ken, thanks for joining us again here uh, on the show. Thanks for having me on again, brother. So, Valor BK is finally here and coming to Jacksonville. Valor Bare Knuckle. Tell me all about it, what people need to know. Well, first of all, it's true bare knuckle. Um, I went back in the earlier days and just thought, you know, the gloves that they put on and, and how they would check the fighters, that's all not true. It's, uh, it's actually more dangerous to put a glove on somebody and hit them a hundred times than it is to take the glove off and have to be more accurate so you don't damage your hand. So, so when you were fighting early on, were you doing gloves or doing bare knuckle? Is bare knuckle kind of unique? I first started out when it was bare knuckle, no rules, anything goes. Then they put the gloves on a little bit after that. 
and tried to bill it as being safer. And six months into it, after wearing the gloves, I thought to myself, this isn't safer. They're protecting the hand, not the head. So where were you doing that? Was that UFC or was that different somewhere else? No, that was UFC. I started in Japan where it was open hand strikes because the closed fists, they could damage their hands, so they were open hand strikes, mixed martial arts. Then UFC came in with no holes barred, anything goes. It was bare knuckle, closed fist, no rules whatsoever, no time limit. Back when they thought you guys were like barbarians. <laughs> there was no respect, but it was really seriously very technical. Okay. So why did they start with the gloves in UFC? Just like, I, just like I said, they were trying to bill it as something safer, but the reality of it is they wanted to protect the fighters that were winning, which was their hands. Because if you're punching somebody and you break your hand and you win, you can't go to the next round and fight. Or it takes six months to a year for that hand to heal up, so the guy that won, they can't use again for six months or a year. So by putting a glove on, boxing did the same thing in the original days when it was bare knuckle. They put boxing gloves on them. Why? Because guys were damaging their hands. It has nothing to do with safety of the fighter, but making sure the guy that you're marketing that is marketable because he's winning, protecting their hands. So how did this come about, Valor BK? I mean, how... Tell me about how this started. Yeah, it was really something uh, in when I got to a certain point, like a lot of us do, where you can't continue to keep fighting in the ring or in, the, in whatever you're fighting, in cage, whatever it is. And I got to that point where I just didn't want to leave, though, and so I needed to figure out how I could stay involved, and I came up with being able to promote a fight. But just like as a fighter, I wanted to make sure that if I was going to do it, I wanted to be the best. And so when I started thinking about how can I make this different and more exciting, I had to go back into my career and started listening to the fans, listening to the fighters, listening to the media on certain things that they were complaining about and how we could make it better. One of the first things that came to mind was when people were sitting on the floor, they bought the best seats in the house, and they can't see because they're looking through ropes, they're looking through cages, they're posts in the way, and it just seems like they get these great seats, but they're not really visibly good because they're always looking up at the monitor. So I thought to myself, since when does cages and ropes keep fighters fighting? So let's just take them down. So we took them down. Why were the fans for that? Why, I mean, what, what were fans telling you? Well, uh, more or less, you know, when you sit down there and you're watching fights, how can you see? I mean, literally, when you're looking at it, I guarantee everybody on the floor are all looking up at the monitor yeah. and not at the ring live when they're sitting there and they pay those, that kind of money for those tickets. They want to be able to watch the fight, the fight, and not a monitor. And so by taking that down when you sit there, you're literally watching the fight. What year are you coming up with this idea? Oh, uh, this, I would say uh, uh, 2019 uh, is when I actually came up with the concept no ropes, no cage, no gloves, no tape, no clinching. All of this was put in so that it was a much better, exciting fight for fans, for media, and for fighters themselves. You imagine as a fighter, like even like a guy like Mike Tyson, one frustrating thing from him was, you know, once people realized this guy had power and that he would counter you and knock you out, they started hugging him. They'd throw one, two, three, and grab him. One, two, three, and grab him. And so it was a cheat code for him not to be able to hit him. So I just felt like, you know, taking these things out and actually putting fights on where fighters are there to fight, there's none of these cheat codes of laying on the ropes of the cages or hugging, that it really made it a fan-friendly fight. 
I'm going to get back to Valor in a second, but you bring up Mike Tyson. makes me kind of curious. I've yeah. always wondered, how would you say Mike Tyson would have done against a UFC fighter? Oh, he wouldn't have done well. Um, you know, let's be real. Mike Tyson was an um, unbelievable boxer. But when you're talking about a mixed martial arts, now, depending if they were going and boxing him, he'd have crushed him. Sure. But if he goes into a basically no-rules fight, he's going to lose. How so? Are they going to take him out of the legs? Or? Well, how does he take I mean, obviously, I know in his mind, he's a world champion, and he believes he can knock anybody out at any time. And maybe he can, bare knuckle. <laughs> but it's a different beast when you're talking about guys who are very skilled at closing the distance and being able to get you to the ground. Okay. So you start this, and you do one in South Dakota, was it? Yes. Then COVID happens. Talk yeah. to me about the kind of the, how this went. Yeah, it's frustrating. You know, um, you get something that everybody loves, the rule sets, the vision. We put it on. We sell it out. Unbelievable fight. And then this thing hits COVID. And it's like everybody's still trying to – successful businesses like UFC, like WWF, they keep putting on events, right? And they just funnel it through different uh, systems and stuff. But – for me, we were startup business, and like not having fans there to help build the brand didn't make sense to me. It's like, well, we're going to throw money against the wall, and hopefully it works with no fan base. And I was like, yeah. So we basically pulled back, and we started working on all kinds of stuff behind the scenes, like the structure of the business. Um, we were developing an app, so we were able to stream it um, through Valor Bare Knuckle app so that we own that content. So there was a lot of stuff that we worked on. Now we're here. Well, I want to talk about that. So you take the figurative punch in the mouth with COVID, and you're like, <laughs> right. well, there's my new business. What do I do with it? When did you start to realize, okay, you know, how did you shift to Jacksonville here, where you're like, I've got to find a venue to do this, and you're in the middle of the pandemic, you don't know what's going on. How did you make your way from starting in South Dakota, and now you're in Florida? Well, we made we built a lot of relationships along the way. You know, we've come here and and being able to build relationships. Uh, Nick Furious, one of the guys that we had built relationships because he was shooting a lot of our content. You know, and he introduced us to a lot of other people. And the one thing that I noticed when we came here was like when UFC came here, they sold out. UFC came here, WWF came here, and they sold out. Um, there's bare knuckle organizations that came here, they sold out. And so for me, it felt like this is a great place to start. There's a lot of great fight fans. And so we decided this is where we were going to put our flag and do our next event. But at the same time, we don't want to be the same as everyone else. So on October 27th, in Jackson, Florida, at UNF, we're doing a second true bare knuckle fight. Was there any sort of legal wrangling you had to do to allow bare knuckle, or is that something you could do anywhere? I'm sorry? Uh, was it like with sports commissions, you know, like what you're allowed to do? I know each state is different. Did you, was that an issue at all here? No, not at all. In fact, it was open arms. Uh, they accepted it. Um, so there was no issue with that. We just started moving forward. And, um, you know, just like with the, some of the other ones that had been going on here, we just came in behind them. But we actually met different people along the way to make sure that this was going to be okay to do here. I want to get to that. So I've seen you throughout the months a lot with the Police Athletic Association, PAL in right. Jacksonville, and working with like local police and stuff. Talk to me about how, what you've been doing in the city. 
Yeah, we met with the FOP. Um, the fact is they had their big convention down here and I met with them two different times and then a lot, a lot more prior to that with meeting with different people. Steve Zono was one of them we met with. Steve Zono's, yeah, he's kind of been the head of the FOP here locally for years. Yeah. Uh, a great guy, you know, uh, he was very instrumental in being able to, uh, to uh, help Valor align itself with the FOP. And it was big to us because when I think about fighting and all the things I've ever, uh, I was able to do, I also think about, I don't want it just to be about the fighting. I want to be able to do bigger things, and that's reaching out in the communities and being able to give kids opportunities to be able to find their way through sports to be able to vent frustration and anger and whatever it is to help them be Tell me about that. So, yeah, so, like, the Police Officer Association works with youth, and you've been dealing with a lot of youth. the PAL organization. The PAL, yeah. So, um... Talk to me about that for a young kid. You were a young kid, and I think if you told me you were fighting when you were young. Yes. What's it like to have that outlet for a young person, to have something where I can go do this in a controlled environment? What does that do for a, a youth who's maybe having problems? Well, I mean, first of all, it keeps them out of prison. It keeps them out of juvenile hall. It keeps them from getting in trouble because they have somewhere, whatever's happened to them, because there's a lot of different things that can happen to kids where they pent that anger and frustration up inside of them. And like myself, I was out fighting and beating people up and got into trouble. Well, when someone showed me a better way to do it, which was in controlled sports and staying within the rules, I became relevant. I became important in the right way. And so I think it's huge being able to direct young kids, no matter what that frustration is, because it's, for me, it was sports, obviously. But for other kids, it could be drawing, it could be hip hop, rap, singing, art, whatever it may be for you to be able to vent that frustration into something positive. Tell me about the event at University of North Florida in Jacksonville here. October 27th. Okay. UNF, Jacksonville, Florida. We are coming back for number two, Valor BK2. It is true bare knuckle. When I say true bare knuckle, I mean like there are no tape on the hands, there are no glove on the hands. It is true bare knuckle. And I tell you what, we got some great, great undercard fighters. Most of them on the undercard are all local fighters for different gyms here. So we're excited to see that. It's going to be a great fight. And you've got fighters from all over Florida, too. Oh, everywhere. Everywhere. Yes. So what can people expect? You know, a lot of you're going to have crossover with the UFC fans. So talk to the UFC fan here who's maybe been to a UFC fight. What are they going to see here that they don't see at UFC? What's the difference? <laughs> and it's maybe subtle to some people, but what do, you, what do you say the difference? Well, it ain't subtle. It's action, fast-paced action. Um, UFC, and I and I love it. I that was my love. That's what you know basically gave me who I was in life. But I'm telling you, when you put them both side by side, UFC is slow compared to bare knuckle. Action happens now, and especially with the vision and the rule sets that go in there. It just forces action. Not that UFC isn't exciting, because it is. But when you put them both together, bare knuckle true bare knuckle is more exciting to watch than actual UFC because there's a lot of pause with the ground techniques and the movement on the ground and the clenching and all that stuff that goes into it. When you put bare knuckle up against it, man, it is exciting. When I talked to you the first time we met, um, you were talking to me about the difference between wrestling and fighting. You got a lot more injured in wrestling yeah. versus fighting. You were also talking to me about the strike to the head, one or two strikes in a two five minute fight or whatever versus every night like in wrestling where you're getting hurt that much more often. 
Oh, there was a lot of pounding, and 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 the reason when people kind of go, well, how is that possible? I mean, wrestling is entertainment. Well, it's like it's not necessary because it's 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 going to be real. It's because you have to give your body to to your opponent. He has to protect you. So in other words, I go in there and I allow I allow a guy to slam me five times in a match, suplex me five times in a match, hit me with the chair twice. And that's five days a week before we hit pay-per-view. So we're doing five house shows, and then we do the big pay-per-view. So that's six shows that you're doing in less than a week. Six shows. One, two, three, four, five. And then you take three days off, you come back, and you do it again. You're brutalizing your body. A fight, you do once or twice a year. Yeah. So much easier. Oh, yeah. On, on, <laughs> on the body, yes. Yes. Um, so... Where do you go from here? I mean, is this going to be something that, that you're going to kind of go on the road, or what's the long-term vision here? You know, you know I, again, like I said, it's new, and it's the educational part that we're focusing on. Like the, like the UFC in the beginning where people thought it was barbaric, they didn't understand it. There was an education process that had to come. Once that process happened, people understood it, and then they started to appreciate it. I think that's where we're at now with bare knuckle. It's getting them to understand this part of the technique of it, of landing punches, not breaking your hands, and how, how difficult it is to be that accurate with a moving target. I uh, see once we can educate them on it and that, quote unquote, the most one thing people say most time is, oh my goodness, it's so dangerous. It's not. It's more dangerous with a glove on because you punch more in the head, you get hit more times. So. Why do you call it Valor BK? Well, where did he come up with the name? <laughs> it's Valor Bare Knuckle. So Val Valor Bare Knuckle, but yeah. Valor is something we came up with. Just the honor, integrity is something that's real important to me. What has the um, interest level been from the fighters? Are they, do they, have, has there been a lot of interest from fighters on this? Yeah, no doubt. Um, again, like I said, this Bare Knuckle has been kind of jumping off the last two and a half years. Um, so there's a lot of people that are take going from actual boxing and the MMA world and they're doing both bare knuckle and whatever they're in. So it hasn't been hard for us to actually find fighters to do it. How do you compare bare knuckle to boxing? Say that again? How do you compare bare knuckle to boxing? Not UFC, but boxing? Yeah, first of all, I think bare knuckle, and again, my opinion from my experience, is much safer doing it long term. Second is is that action is much faster. When you land a punch, it counts. In boxing, you can land 20, 30 punches and the guy keeps coming. In bare knuckle, you land two of them and he ain't coming no more. Okay, so I do want to ask you about some fighting world stuff because since we last talked, there's been a lot of changes in the UFC world. The big one was they merged with WWE. Okay. What do you think of that? I mean, you've probably been watching like we all have. I mean, where do you think it goes from here? I don't know. I think the sky's the limit. I, I mean, I'm all for it. I think it was a smart move. Um, once people were already doing it anyways, like myself, I was the first one to do it. Now you've got all kinds of others that have done it since then. So I think it's just a great way for people to extend their careers and keep, keep having fun and entertaining people. You may or may not have an opinion on this, but I'm going to throw it out there. Former UFC fighter turned pro wrestler, recently fired by WWE. Guy named Matt Riddle. Ever heard of him? Yes. He got fired recently. Dana White has spoken out. He's not a fan. Thoughts on that firing? I just, again, like I said, it's, it's, it's very difficult for someone who's standing on the outside and don't know everything that went on behind closed doors to make an opinion. Yeah. 
Someone else I wanted to ask about. You brought up on our last show, and I always wanted to follow up with what you said on Steve Austin, Stone Cold Steve yeah. Austin. You said Steve Austin was very good at stand-up, and I should have stopped the interview and asked, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Tell me more about what you meant when you told me Steve Austin was good at stand-up. Well, when I meant stand-up, I meant like his, his verbal communication with the mic. Okay. Um, you know, he's very clever, just like The Rock, very clever. Once you hand them the mic, their careers took off. They were great at stand-up. Were you just kind of, as a performer, kind of in awe of what Austin and, and The Rock could do on a mic? Uh, unbelievable. I mean, you literally be sitting there, everybody's just, even as you're a wrestler sitting in the locker room, everybody's locked into the monitors to hear what they got to say next. Everyone's asked you about this over the years. I'm going to be one of the people. Tell me about the chair shot from The Rock. <laughs> when you exposed yourself there, it has been the famous shot for 30 years now. Yeah. How, was that your idea? How did that come about? Yeah, I mean, Rock wouldn't say, hey, I'm going to hit you in the face. I'm going to say, oh, what, huh? No. I came to him and told him that because everything I know about sports and, and, and what I learned in sports was you don't get hit in the back of the head, whether it's fighting, whether it's football, you never take shots to the back of the head or the top of the head. You take it in the forehead. And so it just didn't make sense to me when they say they were going to hit me in the back or they are going to hit me in the head, top of the head. I was like, no. So once he hit me in the face. The reason why I said that was because I wanted him to swing for my face and I would protect myself. He don't have to worry about it. Just hit me in the face. And he kind of like, what? What are you talking about? I said, just do it. And he goes, I ain't doing it. And I said, I ain't selling it. And he looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, if, if, if you don't do it, I ain't, I ain't selling it. Which means I'm not going to play the game with him unless yeah. he does it. So he goes, okay. And I said, you better swing it or I'm not selling it. And he looked at all, I'll swing it. <laughs> so... Everybody saw what happened. He swung it, but it just, and again, on my knees, saying, come on. And as he swung it, just as it, it got to my face, I just took my chin, and it hit me in the forehead. Bang, chair folded around my head. I went down. Everybody was like, oh, my. Farouk was sliding in the ring at the time, and like, because he didn't know he was doing that. And uh -huh. he looked down and went, what Killed him. Like, you killed him. <laughs> yeah. That has been played for years. Are you surprised that continues to this day to be something people talk about? No, I'm not. Uh, after watching it, it looked vicious. But again, I keep trying to tell people, man. I, I, the only scary part about that thing was it sounded like a shotgun going off. That's it. So you started, uh, you were in the corporation with Vince. Shane was new to the company. Stephanie was new to the company. What was it like working with the McMahon family as on-camera characters during that time? Yeah, it, it, they're, it different, they're very difficult characters uh, in real mean? life and in, 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 uh, in, in character. Well, just because they come at different ways, you know, you know they're the boss, right, first mm -hmm. of all. You got to be careful what you're saying or what you're doing. Even though it's entertainment, you're supposed to get mad at them, and you're like, I don't know if I can because I don't know how far I'm supposed to take it. <laughs> yeah, so it was a little nerve-wracking yeah. to work with them yeah. in that regard. You got to hit them or you got to slam them or like uh, things of that. You're just like, you don't know where the line is. Like, like, how far do I go with this? So early on in your, when you started with WWF, you did have some overlap with Degeneration X with Shawn Michaels and Triple H. What were they like to work with? I know Sean was going through a lot at that point in his yeah. life. What were they like to work with? Sean was a, just a pro. I mean, just an absolute pro. Um, the, the rest of them, I, I, you know, they were just guys that I worked with. I never had issues, hard issues with any of them. Obviously, there was some that was, I uh, came jealous because I had gotten put over, which means I, I, I was getting the win over some of them that had been there a lot longer. So that was a difficult situation because 
you know, the whole business is built, you know, on, on you putting other people over or getting yourself put over. And once you're there for a while and you're an old school guy, most of the time when a new guy comes in, the new guy is the one having to put the guys over. Well, that wasn't happening when I came in. I was getting put over on some of the guys that had been Did there. Did they a while. not like that? Yeah, like, it was a problem. Where were some of the guys? I'm not mentioning names. Not mentioning names, okay, but it was a problem. <laughs> yeah, it was a problem. I actually had to go up to one of them because he was talking about my back, and I had to tell him, listen, you got a problem with me, you come talk to me. Don't go squeaking behind my back. And you can't tell us the name? Absolutely oh, not. <laughs> I had to try. No, but just, let me just tell you that. He's very powerful now. <laughs> He's very powerful now. I'll think on that one. Yeah. Um, I got to ask about one when your sister came in. Yeah. The Ryan Shamrock with Val Venus and Billy Gunn. Right. Who was Ryan Shamrock? What was that angle all about? Yeah, actually, she was actually a girl I was dating at the time. Really? Yeah, it was actually, she was traveling with me and we were okay. together. And so they played all these different angles uh, of who she was and my sister and how I was going psycho on all these people. Then they came up with this angle that I was like, I had three kids at home that were in grade school and they thought this stuff was real and they came to me with this angle and I was like, uh, no, <laughs> not happening, even yeah. though it was happening, but she's not my sister in real life, but they wanted to play it as she was my sister, right? And I was like, no, that ain't happening. You joined for a while uh, the union with Big Show, Mick Foley, Test. Any memories of the union or those guys? Yeah, it didn't last long. I mean, it, it was no. hardly any memories whatsoever. We put us together and then all of a sudden it just went away. One of your brief feuds was with a guy who was very out there who was with gold dust dustin rhodes yeah what was that like to feud with him to work with him in, yeah. in such a odd character in person I mean, he's just a nice dude i mean really nice guy um you know got to get to know him quite a bit because we did work with him but um his angles in the ring they were just like this flamboyant you know mm -hmm. gold dust and very flamboyant and all this other stuff so it was, was it confusing to work with him in a ring in the ring as a character Did, was he he was a pro though not for me man i basically cuz i came in as me and if you're if you're a pro right you're going to do you no matter what the other person does you try to blend the two characters together in your match which is is hard to do at times but for us, man, I felt it went well. Any guys you could have seen that you worked with along the way in the wrestling that could have done fighting? Yeah, you, and again, people ask me this all the time, and they could pick guys, oh, I think you, yet it's, it's just like Mike Tyson says, until you get hit in the mouth, you just don't know what you're gonna do, right? You yeah. never know. And so that's what I say with this, is that no matter what somebody looks like, until they actually do it, you just never know. Let's get back to Valor BK. One more time on yep. that time, date, place, what people need to know, and the website they need to go yeah, to yeah. if they want to get tickets. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be uh, in uh, Jacksonville, Florida at the UNF Arena on October 27th. Doors open, I believe, at 7 o'clock. The show starts. Um, look forward for everybody being there. Get your tickets at ValorBK.com, and they're selling fast, too. I mean, the last show we did, they sold out in an hour. I don't think they'll sell out an hour here, but they're going to sell out, so get your tickets. ValorBK.com, go get your tickets. And as the, the promotion moves forward, if they miss this show, you guys will be putting stuff on your social media, ValorBK and everything, as you move forward with future shows, that type of thing, if people yeah. want to follow you? Absolutely, yeah, they can go there and check it out on our website also. And like I said, there'll be a lot of information. We'll be putting a lot of stuff on there. We are just kicking off. Like, this is our second one, but we got held up with COVID, so this is kind of another launch for us. So. Gotcha. 
Now I'm going to do the thing on this show that I'm going to regret for the rest of my life. <laughs> we couldn't be more opposite in our fighting backgrounds. Like 180 <laughs> difference. Can you show me a move? Yeah, I can show what's you a, one. What's a move you can show well, me? I can show you one where I don't got to break any bones. Okay, but that, I, I prefer that we don't break. Okay. I can put you to, when you put him to sleep and then we'll make him pick his nose. Okay, we'll see. We'll see what, so what, what, are, what are we trying here? Uh, we're going to do what we call the rear naked choke. Rear naked choke. Yeah. Okay, let's do this. I'm tapping. I'm tapping very quickly. Yeah, I was. I was. Yeah, that works. That works really well. Oh. So I learned the hard way. Rear naked chokes from the world's most dangerous man are not a good idea. I do not recommend them. Uh, but we're so happy Ken could join us to talk about Valor BK. We hope that it continues to grow and grow and becomes a real strong promotion nationally throughout the country. Uh, but right now he's got a lot of Florida-based talent who will be fighting in the event on October 27th. Uh, some interesting stuff from that interview. The big one that I took away, I've always wanted to ask about Mike Tyson versus a UFC fighter. Ken is of the opinion they would beat uh, Mike in a regular fight. Really interesting. Because Mike is, as you know, in many respects, the other world's most dangerous man in his heyday. A lot of interesting stuff there. He said about Shawn Michaels and others who will remain nameless, I guess. Uh, but thanks, Ken, for coming on. A lot of fun there. I want to kind of change gears right now and talk about wrestlers who are trying to get into the industry who are trying to learn not just how to wrestle. Obviously, we see all the things about the guys going to, um, you know, the wrestling schools. They learn the moves and all that stuff, and it's grinding and everything. But the one thing we don't really ever see a lot of is how they learn to make promos. Because as anyone in wrestling knows, it's not just about being a tough guy and learning the in-ring work. It's about learning the psychology of being on television and on camera and doing social media clips that might do well and make you get from the indies up to Ring of Honor, up to AEW, up to WWE. A guy named Corey Snelson joins us. He's from Dallas. He's a, a, a filmmaker historically. And now, lately, he's gotten, gotten into making wrestling promo videos for up-and-coming wrestlers who want to learn the craft. He's worked a lot with Lance Archer, obviously. Everyone knows Lance Archer. But he's also working with a lot of guys on the independent circuit, doing some great video work out there. And we'll put some on the screen here of some of the videos he's done. Um, but uh, he's just done a lot of work with up-and-coming performers and I wanted a chance to talk to him about, um, you know, how did he start this and what makes a good wrestling promo, particularly for those young, independent, new wrestlers. Some are just gifted at it. You take an MJF. Uh, he just, he's got it. And then you think of other guys who, who did really well over the years, but promos weren't their thing. Maybe think old school. Think like Haku or the Barbarian. They weren't ideal on camera, but they could work. So it's kind of that balancing act. But one of the things really in the modern age that you want to be good at is promos. So here's our interview with Corey Snelson. He's a filmmaker and now making a lot of wrestling promos based out of Dallas, Texas, and willing to work with anyone, really, who wants to make wrestling promos. Here's our interview talking about the art of the promo. Well, we are joined now by Corey Snelson, based in Dallas, Texas, who does a lot of independent uh, promo work with wrestlers. Corey, thanks for joining us on the show today. Hey, thank you, Scott. It's an honor to be here. 
so talk to me a little about what you do. We just saw some of your promos there. What is it you do? How did you get involved with all this? Um, absolutely. So filmmaking has been a big passion of mine for over the last decade. My wife and I are both highly involved in, in content creation is what you would call it these days. Um, but man, I've been a wrestling fan since Starcade 97, you know what I mean? Okay. I was Sting and Hogan. Yeah. So since then, um, you know, I never, I, I never, once I picked up a camera, I wasn't really into wrestling at the time. So after about 10 years of, of doing documentaries, weddings, short films, um, you know, I've reached out to a couple of wrestlers before and I really just got ghosted. No one ever really hit me up and it wasn't until... Uh, I'm learning Ugani that getting into this wrestling world. Yes. I know all about getting ghosted by wrestling. Oh. Yeah. You, you know what? It, when the stars align, they align and sometimes they're very bright. So, yeah. and Lou Gotti from, um, from right here in Dallas, Texas, uh, he works with a bunch of different wrestlers. They just had a show last night with VIP wrestling mm -hmm. where John Morrison was headlining and it was, uh, I hear it was a, a classic. Uh, but I, I reached out to Lou and I said, Hey man, can, can I do some, I need to break into the wrestling world. Like I need to just film a couple of wrestlers. And do you have anybody? He's like, you know, I actually have a match coming up. It's a cage match. I would really like to have a, an online promo for it. So I was really nervous, Scott. And uh, I said, okay, let's do it. And so I showed up, my wife came out to assist me. We brought off everything that we had from our studio. I brought it out <laughs> and I had no idea what I'd be creating. Um, and we, we created a really awesome promo, you know, it was very cinematic. Uh, everyone involved was, was thrilled to be a part of it. Anyone who was actually in it uh, was proud. Uh, and it kind of like, it set so many different things in motion. And uh, from then on, I would ha just have different wrestlers hit me up. And, you know, at first I wasn't charging for it because I didn't feel like I uh, was that valuable to anybody yet. You know, you have to get in and you have to prove yourself. Uh, but, you know, once it started becoming a weekly thing where uh, local wrestlers from Dallas here were hitting me up, uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to put a price on it. So I started, you know, making a little bit of income from it. Uh, and then I had some, you know, wrestlers from out of state reach out. And then when uh, it was Lance Archer of All Elite Wrestling, I reached yeah. out to him for feedback. I said, I said, I told him, Scott, I was like, hey, man, will you just tell me? if I'm doing, if I'm doing this right, or if there's anything about it that you would change, you know, I really want to make it in this world of professional wrestling, but as a filmmaker, um, and he responded with love it. When can we make something? And from <laughs> then on, man, it's just been, it's been consistent with all these wrestlers from Dallas. And, and like I said, even from out of state. So it's been really so good. You tell me, you tell me you do weddings and different types of independent video that you'd hire in your own city. Going into wrestling, that's a whole different world from both an editing perspective and a production perspective. What's that been like? Because wrestling promos are different than any other type of video you're going to do. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, man, it flows out of me like water. Um, um, I'm, I'm usually, you know, going into a wedding, I'm high stress or going into, um, you know, create, helping create content for like a real estate agent. I'm usually like, there's some form of stress there, but like, if I'm headed to a shoot to shoot with a wrestler, like I know that we're going to make something awesome and I know I'm going to love doing it. And the kind of stress that does come with that is the kind that like shapes you, you know, and I know it's shaping me. Um, so I'm not, I don't have any real fear going into it. Um, so when we hit roll on camera, you know, like 
the wrestler and myself, we're, we're in the zone, you know, we're not overthinking the situation, you know, when it comes to like lighting and making sure that the wrestler looks great on camera and sounds really good. It is, like I said, it's effortless. It flows out of me. So I don't, I don't second guess myself with it. I just kind of flow from the heart when it comes to actually producing these things. And like you said, it is very different. Um, but it is like, I'm so in alignment with it that there is like little to no difficulties in, in these situations. Um, so, but yeah, no weddings, high stress wrestling. It's the funnest shoots I've ever done. So you deal with you know, like Lance Archer is very experienced, but you deal with a lot of new indie guys. Like what do you find with them? I mean, do they struggle or are they naturals at it? I mean, do you run the gamut? What's that like? Great question. Um, you know, I've dealt with the variety. You know, I have someone, there's a gentleman by the name of uh, uh, Eddie Martinez, um, the power glider from here in DFW. He will be on your television sets one day, mm -hmm. um, if not very soon. Uh, young gentleman, he comes in and he'll do it in one take. He'll be like, all right, that's it. We're good. Um, and then there's been other wrestlers who are freshly out of their graduation, you know, that um, uh, Lou Gotti runs a school here, DFW All Pro Wrestling here in Dallas. And he kind of funnels me new people. And so I have dealt with wrestlers who do struggle. Um, and then since my background is directing and um, I, I, I find it fun to be like, what, what do you want to say? Okay, well, then let's let's go ahead and let's say it. And then we're going to do it again. But I'm going to, you know, break it down for you so you don't have to struggle as much. So it's not necessarily all one take. But one thing uh, I want to get, get so, so there is the struggle. Wrestling promos, there's there's two types of wrestling promos. When I was a kid in the 80s, they stood in the front of the camera with Mean Gene's microphone in their face, and they yelled at the camera, and whatever came out, came out. Ric Flair was great at it. The Barbarian was awful at it. But nowadays, you say directing. I mean, promos are so much more advanced. Uh, you know, lighting, camera shots, multi-take promos. I mean, work you know in an area you know in a specific area as opposed to just me on a set yelling at the camera i mean talk to me about the the dynamic of of doing multiple takes and you know you do a stand up here and a stand up there and you light it really dark talk to me about that uh absolutely so i've had the the opportunity to film both like one uh, i had a promotion reach out to me from san antonio rcw um, they reached out and said, hey, Corey, we love your style, but we want the old school style. We don't want the flashy B-roll or anything like that. Our, our gimmick here at RCW is old school. So I took that as like an opportunity to be like, okay, I can't hide behind editing on these, you know, so let's see what we can do. Um, and, you know, the wrestlers that we had on that on those shoots, which we did three or four in one day, uh, just nailed it. And it was great. And it was like in the blink of an eye, we're done. Uh, but as opposed to the wrestlers that I work with that, you know, maybe they do a take and I let them watch it back and they don't quite like it. You know, I'll give them a little feedback on it or they'll automatically know what they want to do. We may spend an hour on just the dialogue of of their promos. Uh, so the difference between, you know, modern day with the edits and everything, some people can look at it as a crutch. Um, but honestly, like I've seen it, um, like light the wrestlers up. I'm not to say like I'm adding confidence to them, but when they can see themselves in the best light possible, you know, mm -hmm. it just gives them a little bit more to feed off of, you know, whether it's their next match or their next iPhone promo, they have a little bit more of a, a kick to them after they see what they can do, um, going through all the, you know, mess up takes or, or whatever. So it's, 
it's been really cool to see the two different um, kinds of promos. Uh, I profession, I, I actually love the ones that we do multiple takes so we can kind of fill each other's energy and in, in the edit, it just comes alive. But the one take promos, you can never get rid of those. Those will always be around. There's something special about them, you know? So, yeah. So you've probably got a different eye for the industry now. When you watch Raw or AEW or Ring of Honor or whatever, do you sit and look at it with a director's eye as opposed to maybe when you were just a fan in 97? 100%. Um, I think I shot my first promo December of 2022, so last year. Um, and ever since then, since I've been in the room with wrestlers uh, and, and been on set with them and everything like that, I'm, I'm always curious as to um, how do they do it live, right? So now every time a match is over, my eyes are locked on frame. I'm like, can I do what they're doing here on AEW or Raw? And absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's funny you bring that up. AEW recently had that, like, little – a botch where they had someone clapping on camera and they didn't yeah. cut that part out of the promo yeah. um that hit me in the heart in a good way i was like oh my gosh that's exactly what i do before every you know so it made me feel really connected to how they do it in the big leagues as i say and yes i do i dissect everything that comes across that television and being like how do they do it and how can i do that you know or how can i make it better well, let's get to it. If uh, a wrestler sees this or someone who knows a wrestler, someone wants to get into wrestling, make a promo. Tell me how they find you, how they could get in touch with you. Tell me all about your contact info and where they can look at your quality work. Absolutely. So uh, on Instagram is the majority of where I get contacted. It's at Corey Makes Videos. Uh, that's C-O-R-Y. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, oh, I get it all the time. Uh, same on Twitter. Um, but uh, last month, as of September 1st, I launched what's called the Push Spot Media Company. Um, you know, I don't work with just wrestling, but it is the that is like my goal is to just make that a wrestling media company. I don't want to film shows. I just want to film promos, backstage segments, those kind of things, and really add like a high value to them. So you can check out the pushspot.com. It's a very special website to me. Um, what it actually is, just for a quick plug, is it's a, I call it crowdfunding content creation. Mm -hmm. And uh, what, what wrestlers can do, it's a very hard world out there to be a wrestler, much like a musician or a stand-up comedian. There's not a lot of money. So I've set up a system where wrestlers can get in contact with me for sure, um, but they can also crowdfund their next shoot with me, whether it be uh, promo photos you know, for the next flyer that they're trying to get on, uh, or if it's a promo video, um, I've created the pushbot.com to sell t-shirts uh, with wrestlers, you know, their gimmick on there and their designs. And every 12 shirts they sell, uh, they get a free two-hour session with me. So it takes the money out. It takes away having to pay the wrestlers. They don't have to pay for my work. They can just supply me with the design uh, and then sell 12 shirts, hit me up, bada bing, bada boom. They get the you know, they get my products and I get to do it without breaking the bank all the time on myself. But that's the pushspot.com and my social media handles are at Corey Makes Videos. Got it. And Corey is spelled C-O-R-Y. Corey Snelson, thanks so much. This is fun today. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Scott. Have a good one.
So thank Corey for coming on. That was a lot of fun to talk to him about how these guys really get their start. And hopefully we'll hear from Lance Archer with him down the road. Um, but uh, I want, really want to thank Ken for coming on. Uh, this is a real big thing for Ken that he's pushing forward with his Valor bare knuckle to really give an alternative to UFC where you can get right up on the edge of the fight with no cages, no ropes in front of you, and really see the bare knuckle style of fighting, which Ken argues is safer than like pro wrestling where you're getting knocked in the head all the time. Those bare knuckle fists can knock a guy out pretty quickly, which means while you get knocked out, you're not taking constant blows to the head and you're not doing it night after night like say you are in wrestling. So Ken has been a friend of the show. We've had him on multiple times and hopefully this goes well for him. We, of course, we'll have Ken back down the road as Valor BK continues to grow. But it is October 27th, University of North Florida. Tickets are still available. If you are interested, uh, you can find them wherever you get your tickets. But uh, thanks, Ken, again for coming on. Valor BK, October 27th in Jacksonville. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of Going Ringside. We'll see you back here next time. This has been Going Ringside with The Local Station, brought to you every Wednesday on your favorite podcast player, on New Sport Jacks Plus, as well as the New Sport Jacks YouTube channel.